Greetings, and welcome to Talking Trek to You, a podcast where a noob and an expert boldly go through Star Trek episode by episode. My name is Kev Kozer, and I'm here with my co-host, JG McQuarrie. Say hi, JG. Hey there, Kev. How are you doing this week? I just learned where children come from, and so that's taken me a bit of a shock. <laughs> oh god, what a time to find out. I'm right in the middle of a Star Trek podcast as well. I, I, uh, I, I, you have nothing but my sympathy. But you know, we have to crack on, and, and even shocks such as, 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 as where the replacements come from just have to be rolled with, and we have to get on. So this week, we are going to be covering the Apple, and of course, we have a guest with us. So say hello, Alice. Hello. And welcome back to the podcast. It's a delight. Uh, how are you doing? I'm doing very well. I'm just going to throw some rocks around randomly and see which ones explode. So, Okay. Uh, well, uh, try not to uh, detonate any crucial pieces of equipment when it comes to uh, your recording setup. I'll do my best. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. We always appreciate care when lobs are being carelessly tossed around for no readily apparent reason, other than it might give a demonstrable and slightly exciting explosion. <laughs> right. Okay. Um, <laughs> oh, this is such a weird episode. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm tipping my hand already, and we haven't even got to the episode summary, but let's get that out of the way first, shall we? Right, uh, Kev, would you, would you give us a usual summary? All right. The Enterprise is exploring the planet Gamma Trianguli 6, and there it looks like a very Eden-like planet. They're really leaning into the Eden atmosphere here, paradise and all that. They discover a group of primitive humanoids who live in worship of this giant cave called Val uh, that's actually, of course, a computer in the center of the Earth. It takes fuel from them and then provides a paradise-like atmosphere and keeps the people there immortal, but also completely stagnant. They have not progressed culturally in any way. They don't have, they don't know what love is. They don't have children, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Of course, that is abhorrent in the eyes of our very human enterprise crew plus Spock. So they wind up uh, freeing them from the planet by blowing up the computer with just straight up lasers and then let these people figure things out for themselves. Lovely. Um, Thank you very much. Right. Okay. So it's the apple. It's a relatively notorious episode. I reckon it's pretty easy to understand why, uh, but I am very much looking forward to both of your opinions on this one. Uh, so, um, Alice, you're our guest, so let's uh, kick off with your good self. Uh, how did you find this one? What do you think of it? I feel like this is possibly the most Star Trek episode of any episode. Is it good? Eh, maybe not, but... There's just so much happening all the time that it's just a really fun watch. Okay, yeah, that's that's definitely one opinion. Um, Kev? <laughs> I, I mean, I'm pretty much with Alice here. It's like, I was never bored. I was never, like, frustrated, never rolling my eyes. I mean, rolling my eyes a little bit, but <laughs> it's like, <laughs> not the usual reason to roll my eyes at Star Trek. It was just, it was more of just, like, I don't know. It's just, wow, you really went for it with this one. Um like a lot of fun props and costumes and weirdness. And it just, yeah, I just appreciate a big swing like this. It's, we were discussing earlier before we started recording over whether this counts as literary or not. It definitely aspires to be, it's working. It has more thematic stuff on its mind than I would say is typical Star Trek episode. Uh, it's, I can't say it's fully successful at that, but <laughs> can't also, but yeah, it's, it's ridiculously entertaining no matter how you slice it. I think this is one episode that definitely sort of proves the adage that the worst thing 
a series can be is boring. Right. Like it, like like the worst kind of Star Trek episode or like those middle ones are kind of difficult to get worked up about. You can't really find that much of interest. Like like you said, Kev, like this is never boring. It's sometimes great. It's sometimes awful. Um but it's never dull. And that kind of that kind of saves it. And the 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 big swings that the script takes I mean, some of them land and some of them don't. Um, I, I, I find the the uh, the analogy uh, of Eden and everything very laboured. I mean, it's it's laboured before the credits roll in the opening titles. Never mind by the time we get to the end titles. Um, and a lot of that stuff is very kind of ham-fisted and, and clumsy. But you know, there's there's a lot of stuff which is just tremendously entertaining but again like you say alice whether it's good or not yeah that's definitely one that's up for debate yeah like the reasons i enjoy watching this episode are not the reasons why i would say that any episode is good it's like okay we've got real orange aliens and they live (laughs) on an orange planet and Although, like, even after one red shirt dies, there's a lot of red shirt death in this episode, actually. Oh, yeah. I think it's our highest body count yet, at least on screen. It's our highest red... Uh, this is this is the episode where the most number of red shirts have been killed in in an episode. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. It's like... So far. And, and yet they won't stop touching things. <laughs> it's like, the, the I'm, trees I'm are poisonous, really so I'm just going to, like, caress every flower I see. When you said uh, uh, they can't stop touching things, I, I had to fight really hard not to make a joke about, yes, well, they have a lot of, um, you know, things to learn now that Val has gone. But, uh... Yeah, that, that one red shirt could not stop touching Chekhov, so. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, there's a, I, I always love it when there's a lady red shirt, because it happens rarely in, enough that it's mm-hmm. notable when they let a woman leave the ship. <laughs> <laughs> is, it, is it sexist to call her a red skirt? Mm. No. I, I like it. It's just a, a, a useless piece of information. That's Grizzly Whitney's uniform she's wearing. Oh, gosh. Just if, if you want some really like uncomfortable um, yeah. sort of, uh, implications. Yeah, that was, uh, that was originally the Yeoman Rand costume, and she had it uh, shortened so that she could wear it for... Uh, that actress had it shortened so that she could wear it for this episode. That was also in my Memory Alpha trivia, followed up with uh, the uncomfortable anecdote that the costume person assured her it would, it would not be returning. <laughs> yes. Oh. <laughs> not lovely. Uh, but yeah... Uh, what is lovely uh, is, I don't know, I just, I do think they do such a good job uh, realizing this planet, this setting. Like, I think at its worst, Star Trek production design can be a lot of very sterile corridors that look pretty similar and endless. So I really appreciate whenever they go to a planet and they take like a big swing. It's also not just like the desert, we're here, we're out of money. And so you're seeing some rocks. That's the other bad Star Trek production design. This is like a fully, it's, I guess it would all be in studio because yeah, nothing looks like this in real life. Uh, just like created forest. You got your like Legends of the Hidden Temple cave as the villain. Um, it's just looks great. It's really like everything looks very designed and yeah, it's over the top and not, it's not going for realism or anything that's practical looking, but I, the camp side of me just really loves how fun and fresh this looks compared to our previous Star Trek settings. Yeah. Yeah. I liked the, 
the costumes for the for the feeders of Vol with yeah. they were so glittery. It's like although the any moment you start thinking too much about how this planet works, you wonder how they have their magic clothing. Like, do they make it? Or is it provided by the snake cave? Or like, it doesn't stand up to any sort of prolonged thought, but it looks cool. Yeah. Even uh, with the, the slightly awkward choice of body paint. But yeah, it, they can do some things for themselves. They mention hunting, they mention even dancing. They just can't, oh, yeah. they just don't know about physical contact. <laughs> So, so they yeah. can they do know what killing is. Well, they had to be taught that. <laughs> I guess to differentiate between oh. hunting animals and, and killing individuals, yeah. Right, right. right. But you know what? The principles are the same, so I don't understand why he... Well, he said, maybe it was specifically gather food, he said. So maybe they subsist on berries. I think right, when he was, was yeah. demonstrating that they had that, it looked like some wild purple and green fruit. I wonder if they like dyed a cantaloupe or something. Uh, yes, that's exactly what they did for the for the um, for the the scene where the uh, where the uh, uh, the melon is smashed open in order to demonstrate this is how you kill them. Yeah, it's it's just a melon with food dye. I did think the the main actor, uh, uh, what was his name, Akuta? I thought he did a good job of like being sort of just absolutely nothing going on in in that head, just very very innocent i guess is yeah. what they were going for it's but it's tough yeah. sorry yeah it's tough to play that kind of character without seeming like dumb but you know but he plays there's like an intelligence and like thought to him like there's a personality to that character he's not just like i mean the noble savage horrible archetype but uh so i think but a lot of that is probably the performance more than the writing but yeah keith andes is named the actor and he does put a lot of mustard into that that makes the character definitely stand out like you said i agree yeah like when when val told him that they'd have to kill the outsiders he, he was still like at this very sort of non-malevolent level like he didn't be like turn into a mean person it was just like oh yeah no that's a good idea we'll, we'll smash their heads open cool cool yeah it's also such a lovely moment when the landing party first encounter him, like Kirk goes for the punch and like he then just stands there and cries. That's such a, we haven't seen anything like that in Star Trek before. That's such an unusual way for that kind of thing to play out. You know, they're being stalked, somebody's following them. And, you know, you expect the big fisticuff fight with them. Um, William Shatner and or a rather unconvincing stunt person slapping somebody around a bit. But this time it didn't happen. We, we just get that, that weird thing where he just stands there and cries. That's a really nice little detail. And it does so much work in terms of establishing how different the society is. Because this whole episode is basically just Return of the Archons again. Right. Um, not for the first time um, already. So it's, it's already kind of laboring under a lot of um, sort of fairly familiar material, but little moments like that really make it stand out and, and 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 show that a degree of thought really has gone into this beyond kind of the broad pictures of oh well the enterprise is is uh, you know being threatened and um, you know some red shirts are being killed by stock footage or whatever you know it's it's all it's all familiar but those moments really really add to the whole of the episode. Yeah, yeah, it, you're right. It is just Return of the Archons with just the different coat of paint on it. 
Um, it's it's just I guess very Orange familiar. Paint. Yeah. See, I was uh, thinking it was similar to uh, an episode you haven't gotten to yet because it's in the third season. Uh, Spock's brain, because that also has certain Come similar. On. It's not that bad. No, not in, <laughs> not in terms of of quality, but in terms of planets with run by computers. And I mm. won't get too much more into it because I know Kev, you haven't seen it, but yeah, but yeah, it is very interesting. Like the whole, um, how different the solutions are. Whereas Return of the Archons is very much here is a air quotes clever, but still clever solution of Kirk outsmarting the computer, and here is just blow it up. I mean, there's a little bit of line about oh we tired it out by pulling away, but you know, it's very <laughs> when all you have is a rock solution. So I'm really interested in, in something, and it's something that's, I want to ask you both uh, about this. I'm, I'm really interested in both of your opinions, but it's something that's come up in Star Trek before, and it's definitely something that will come up in Star Trek again, indeed, in the next episode. But um, this whole society functions because Val exists, provides for the people, and then they feed it rocks okay that's fine but we get no explanation about anything at all here even return of the archons there was like uh there was a gesture towards an explanation and there was a gesture towards all right well how did this situation come about um and we get you know the the the, the explanations and justifications and they're, they're 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 a bit lampshady but they're kind of there here we get absolutely nothing at all. We are told that Val exists, and it self-evidently does, because it's there with the big glowy cave thing. And that's it. We have no idea how this society came into existence, how this um, sort of symbiotic relationship developed between the two societies, how a society could even survive with, I don't know, a dozen extras, maybe? A a generous uh, pinch? Um, yeah, they are going to have a really weird gene pool when they start reproducing and by means other than Val. And um, and that's it. We just get nothing else. Do you, do you think that works in this case? Or do you think it, 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 it it's a lack that we don't even get like a couple of lines to say, oh, it was an ancient civilization, but their computer took over or whatever. So I'm, I'm just really interested what you both think about that. I... Hmm... On the one hand, I didn't necessarily mind the lack of explanation, and I think that the lack of explanation—I think explaining too much, especially I think with these days and modern television—I think explaining too much can really like be the death of a TV show. Um, if you just spend so much running circles around having to explain everything, there's just no time for actual things to happen. So, yeah, I don't know. It just—it got to its point. I, to fit in a 50-minute episode with everything it had going on and never a dull moment, I just don't know where they would slow down and offer, like, unless the writer Max Ehrlich or any of the people on the production team had a great idea for an original take on why this computer had taken over these people. I kind of don't want to hear it, you know? it's It was fine enough without it. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, if there is, like, a great original idea that can thematically, appropriately justify the existence of this computer relating to the story it's trying to tell that would be awesome but i don't know i think tv shows should be more okay with just leaving things a little underexplained if it means it gets to keep moving okay then thanks very much uh yeah um alice what do you think do you think do you think the lack of explanation works 
I think it works mainly just because that's not the the story of the episode. I mean, most of the story of the episode is kind of the interactions with the people on the surface and the actual computer is really just sort of a natural disaster kind of thing. It's it's causing problems for the people and it's causing problems for the ship, but it's not really, it doesn't have a personality. It's just a, a thing. So it doesn't really bother me that we don't know where it came from. Yeah. I think again, the mystical better versions episode, that's a classic somehow is the computer has a personality that really works and is interesting. But I mean, this is just hindsight's 2020. I, I'm not a writer. I can't rewrite the script. So, yeah, it's, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things. I think it works as far as it goes. But um, like I think you mentioned, Alice, you know, you don't have to think about the society for very long and it kind of falls apart. So it has to function as an analogy. And I guess as an analogy, and especially with the kind of very kind of heavy handed kind of, you know, Garden of Eden stuff, then it, it kind of gets away with it. I, I find it fractionally unsatisfying in this episode for reasons that I can't quite manage to define because when we were talking about um, the changeling and and the, the nomad probe encounters something that's just called the other. Um, it didn't bother me at all that there was no explanation. In fact, I, I was really positive about the fact that there was nothing. It just is, and that gets your plot underway. I, I feel like I feel like a couple of lines wouldn't have gone amiss here, but I don't think it necessarily derails anything. Yeah, yeah it would have been nice to know, like, if it was a, like, an offshoot of something else or mm. the leftovers from a previous society or what. But yeah, it yeah. it didn't really bother me, I guess. I think what sets us apart from the changeling, and the changeling is a little better explained because. I mean, yes, it says the probe collided with something from the other and that, and to quote Futurama, that just raises further questions. But at, <laughs> least it, at least it explains what's right in front of us. Whereas this, even what's right in front of us has never even given lip service. So I can understand, I think, why the lack of even a cursory sort of overview of how this came to be can be more frustrating than the changeling. But yeah, I, I think we're all in agreement that it doesn't really derail anything. There's, there's plenty of other elements of the episode that could derail it, and it's not that. I, this is a big Chekhov episode. I think this is the first time we've seen Chekhov in the spotlight. Um, first time he, at least per memory alpha, does not have to wear a wig because his hair was able to grow out like that. <laughs> That's great. I'm sure he, but, uh, he was happy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> first time we have him, I think, doing a Russian superiority joke when he talks about Eden being just outside of Moscow which I assume is just reference like Soviet Union misinformation stuff. Uh, I think that's I think that's being too generous. I think yep. he just always says like anything that anything good is just Russian. <laughs> that's as simple as it's not any more complicated than that. Uh, the, it's a lovely thought that it was trying to undermine USSR propaganda, but nah. <laughs> <laughs> everything good just comes from Russia, obviously. Exactly. Obviously. Uh, and he's one big hormone. Yeah. He is one big horny hormone on legs with extra horniness added on top. Like he like like three people are dead and he is still getting it on. I mean that's even Kirk doesn't manage that. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, the, so, the whole ship could crash, but then we yeah. could just live the rest of our lives here. That's fine, right? Yeah. 
<laughs> it's um it's a curious choice of characterization, I think it's fair to say. Yeah. But I get it. You know, like, like they need the they need the canoodling scene so they uh they can do this thing kissing. Um and then um, you know, poor old David Soul has to try and pretend very hard that he doesn't understand what's going on. <laughs> Lesson. Yeah, it was one of those is this appropriate workplace behavior on the Enterprise? <laughs> oh, yeah, on the Enterprise, yes. And like any other workplace environment, maybe not. But, but on this Enterprise, yeah. All of the other ships in Starfleet are like, no, you can't fraternize when you're on away missions. But the Enterprise, it's fine. It's all fine. Yeah, that's that's one of the changes Kirk makes when he takes over from Pike is he really ups it up. Well, you know, they say like a leader should be able to lead from the front and demonstrate the behavior that he expects, you know, from those who follow him. And this is very clearly a strategy that's working here. Yeah, yeah. that was so funny. Yeah. I, I thought it, it was very funny, though. I think. Chekhov had one of the lines that I actually laughed out loud at and when, it was, when he was having his fake argument with Spock and he was like, what do you want, violins? Mm. It was, I actually laughed because <laughs> he's got good, you know, timing. Oh, yeah. And Walter Koenig is very charming. You know, I mean, like he is, he is, you know, not workplace appropriate in this episode, but that's, that's the fault of the writing in Chekhov. It's nothing to do with Walter Koenig. And he does manage to have a, a cheeky little wink about him that kind of, you know, helps to ameliorate the um, clear abuse of power that's going on. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's a great actor. I think outside of Shatner and Nimoy, he's the Trek actor I'm most familiar with outside of Star Trek uh, before watching Star Trek. So yeah, I, I've always had a soft spot for him and he's just great here as well. Like you said, he has that charm about him. Um, he has good comebacks. Uh, and I don't know. I the, It's always very hard to stomach the one episode romance, be it with Kirk or whoever, because it's never like, rarely ever, I should say. Sometimes they land it and your city's on the edge of forevers. But most of the time it's, this woman doesn't have a, personality she's just here to make out with the guy unfortunately and they do give landon that nice little fight scene near the end but other than that oh yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah i yeah. love the fight scene oh, I, don't I love it too that, um i don't remember off the top of my head very many women getting fight scenes on the show at all so when i saw that i was i was like hell yeah yeah let's have a let's have a little bit of 90s girl power happening be in a miniskirt and kick some fools. That's always good. <laughs> Quite literally the future Gene Roddenberry wants. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hope this is something again, which has come up in the podcast before. Um, and I don't know whether this is deliberate or not, but in the spirit of generosity and, and uh, you know, in, in worshipping the spirit of Val, as, as we all do, uh, I'm going to assume that this is intentional. Um, the, one of the things that's been observed in the podcast before is that for some reason, Gene Roddenberry has a weird hang up about men with chest hair. And so all <laughs> the men of the 23rd century have to shave their chest up to and including William Shatner. However, um, our uh, delightful uh, lead Val worshipper, uh, uh, Akuta, has a hairy chest because he's primitive. Now, I don't know if that's intentional. Like David Sold uh, clearly doesn't have a hairy chest. Um, so, but but the fact that uh, Akuta does, I'm I'm really interested if that's intentional 
because it, it it marks him out as primitive in term rather than the sort of smooth chested men of the twenty third century. I, I think that's a great read. Um I'm almost certain <laughs> Keith Andes came into the they said shave your chest and he was like no or Roddenberry wasn't around that day so he didn't bother to ask. <laughs> yeah, he's like, I no, I don't think I have to do that. Is that my contract? Mm. <laughs> Well, maybe it's a generous interpretation. Oh, yeah. But I'm going to roll with it anyway. I, I love it as interpretation. I do yeah, think we should yeah. allow ourselves death of the author. It's just... I don't... <laughs> yeah. It's, but yeah, it, you're right. It does help the episode for sure. It's an element that adds to the costume. I mean, it's just like great looking chest hair as well. It's just... It adds to that character for sure. So I am fully in favor of it. Oh, it's yeah. just... Yeah. It's a, it, is what it, it is what it is. And it's a very... It, it's a very interesting choice. Given that so much of this episode is kind of about, um, well, it's not really about colonization. I was going to say it's about colonization, but that's not really completely accurate. But Cultural imperialism. Yeah, that's, yeah. Maybe, that's a much nicer way of putting it. Yeah. Um, I quite appreciate the fact, and this is definitely not going to be true later on in the season, um, but I quite appreciate the fact that the costuming here isn't just leaning into like uh, kind of like Native American cliches, which you could very easily mm-hmm. do, or kind of like like it, it's got a it's meant to be a vaguely Polynesian theme. Now, whether you believe that that's what the costumes of the locals manage to reflect, I'll leave that to your judgment. But it's not just going for uh, like completely obvious or or, or, or sort of cliched approaches right. to it. it. It is suggesting something. But it's not so in your face that it's kind of like screaming at you. And again, it's it's another one of those um, moments that helps to mark the episode out. It's a small detail, but it's one that that helps to push it again away from just like the the more cliched or the more kind of uh, heavy handed kind of like biblical mythology side of things. I'm not going to say this is a great depiction of Native people for 1967. Oh, no, that's that no, I know it's not what you're saying either. But yeah, I was just using it as a humorous lead into what I was going to say, which is, but at least, like you said, it avoids a lot of the cliches that would mark the worst depictions. Um, we can get into the ending of how that rankles a bit, for sure, in a bit. But uh, at least, you're right, costuming and attitude-wise of them as well. Like like I said, I didn't know whether credit's the script or the actor, but none of them are playing it like they're dumb or primitive or like that, they're just playing it like they just literally lack the knowledge. They've been coddled, but there's still like intelligence to them, and there's still personality and honor and what have you. Like they're they're not cowed by these strangers from space or whatever. It's instead just a very different culture. But no one's I don't I don't know. No one's looking down at anyone. I feel like yeah um, yeah yeah. The episode doesn't look down on them as as well. I mean, it does look down on them for being permitted and, and stunted but they don't act that right. way they act very innocent like in the turn in the sense of like literally just not knowing things but right i the only ways the episode is derogatory towards them are the ways it places the blame squarely on val if that makes sense yeah, like, it's, it's looking down on the culture rather than looking down on them as, as people, as it were. Yeah. Uh, because the culture is completely stagnant. But as individuals, they're allowed their own dignity, they're allowed their own intelligence. Yeah, and I think 
And those failings of the culture are purely up to this malevolent computer that needs to be blown up and not because this is how they live their lives. Like no one's like, ah, those purple melons are, oh, that's so weird how you dress like that. No, it's purely just because it's not growing. And that's the only reason why anyone has his criticisms. Yeah, which is, I guess it's very 1960s to be just assuming that everything must be geared towards progress and progress yeah. in a very specific way. That's... And everyone should be acting in that way. And if you don't, it's because of an evil computer in your brain that we have to blow uh, up so that you can... Which is definitely not an analogy for communism. Uh... No! <laughs> <What>? <laughs> no! <laughs> mm, subtle, everyone. Um, yeah, it's, I, like, I really appreciate the fact that they put in the philosophical discussion between Kirk, Spock, and McCoy about whether they need to uh, free these people or, you know, whether they have uh, the right to continue their existence as it is. And particularly, the, the it's a fairly short debate, but the, the back and forth between Spock and McCoy, where McCoy says, well, no, like these people are basically slaves. They have no culture. They have no progress. They have no individual individuality. They have no freedom. As Spock's saying, well, but they're healthy and they're happy and all the rest of it. I really appreciate the fact that they take the time to put that in because it, it puts a little bit of meat on the bone of this sort of fairly um, specific society. Uh, it's kind of undermined by two things. One of the points that Spock's make, Spock makes is that he says, um, you know, don't these people have a right to be able to choose the form of, uh, not the form of government, but the form of, of society that they want? Yet we have no actual indication that this was a choice they made. Again, kind of a failing of the fact that we never have any kind of explanation for Val. We don't know whether this was a voluntary thing that they entered into thousands of years ago and they're quite happy with it or whether it's something which has developed from a like a rogue ai or whatever we just don't know so it's it's a bit off for spock to be making that assumption um but secondly the whole thing is just rendered completely moot as soon as the enterprise is put on uh put under threat because as soon as the enterprise is threatened of course they have to blow up the computer so the philosophical arguments become irrelevant oh we i mean Maybe next gen could have stretched a point with this and said, yeah, actually, we should sacrifice the script in order not to destroy this society. But it's not a naturally evolved society. So the prime directive is a bit vague and it's all a bit, but it just it essentially, as soon as Scotty says, well, we're in a lot, sorry, I very nearly swore there. Um, well, we're in a lot of trouble up here. Like, well, that's the end of the conversation. Yeah, what is Kirk going to do? Mm. Let his ship be destroyed or blow up the evil snake looking computer? Yeah, it's yeah. going to be the second one. Yeah, it's it is interesting how they frame that philosophical debate too, because like you said, I mean, it's nice that Spock at least gets the counterpoint even at the end when things are resolved. Like, should we have done hmm. that? But like you said, circumstances force Kirk to be right, and of course, being the lead of the show forces Kirk to be right. <laughs> so that is what we're going to go with. But yeah, it is just you know, I mean, it just sort of rankles me a bit though, because like. He talks about how great babies are, but doesn't mention pregnancy, that sort of thing. And that's yeah. just like one, one little thing, but that's sort of a stand-in for everything I'd have. Like so many great things about progress and culture, but a lot of downsides too. And I mean, I don't know if I'd want to be living in blissful stagnation for who knows how many years, but I, maybe they should at least be warned about some of the downsides that can come from freedom as well. Yeah, like, 
I'm sure in six months when they're having to deal with bad weather and diseases and yeah, pregnancy that like, yeah, you'll like it a lot. It's like, will they, will mm -hmm. they Captain Kirk? Well, do we think Kirk has ever thought about a woman being pregnant before, though? I don't think that's I don't think that's his modus operandi. Uh, certainly not at this point in the show. No, um, no. There is a there is a tiny, tiny, tiny little fig leaf, not even big enough to cover one cubic hair. But there's a tiny fig leaf at the end where Kirk says, um, "We can help you with that too." And the implication is after the Enterprise, well, if you're feeling generous, that is unbelievably, unspeakably generous. The implication is that we will help you too, means that now that we've destroyed your computer, other people from the Federation will come and we'll, you know, we'll help you like cope with it. We'll help you, um, you know, get to a point where normal society will exist for you and whatever. But it's a tiny, 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 microscopic little fig leaf. So, like, if you choose not to read it that way, like, I completely understand as well. Yeah, I think I must have just totally missed that because I that didn't really register to me. Although, I suppose logically, it would make sense for them to do something because, as you said, the Prime Directive doesn't really apply here, considering they've blown up the computer so it's kind of not yeah. interfering any more than they already have i feel like if laura dex was maybe doing more episodes a season and more married to it second contact premise we would be having the follow-up to this one where things have gotten out of hand <laughs> but yeah uh yeah it does there is like you said that little fig leaf that the federation will help them in some way but um, also, there's a lot of you'll find out and you'll love it. Like that implies a certain degree of autonomy as well. And yeah, it's just, I don't know. I don't like doing the cinnamon style, cinema sins style overthinking of these sort of things. But it does just seem unusually pat, uh, even for Star Trek. Yeah, like the way that Kirk is just so happy for them to have lost their protection. Right. And it's just, it doesn't feel good. It feels very character consistent that the, the argument that Kirk seems to have uh, for them gaining their freedom is that they can have sex now. Whereas yeah. everybody else is like, well, their society is stunted or they have no opportunity to express themselves artistically. And Kirk's going, yeah, but they can't bang. So what do you want? I mean, like, of course, that's the thing that gets to him. Um, yeah, that feels very Kirk consistent. And it's kind of a shame in a way because. Actually, there is some nuance to Kirk earlier on in the episode. Like, it's very unusual to see him sort of being upset by the death of red shirts. It's yeah. not brushed off. Like, he has a bit of soul searching. You know, he has that thing like, like, this mission wasn't that important. I let my guard down and three people died. I should have read the warning signs. We don't often see Kirk being allowed to express that level of self-doubt. It's not that it's never happened before. It has. But it's a very rare thing. And it's really great to see it again in this episode it's a, one of the small details that makes this episode stand out we have three deaths he wears them heavily uh, you know they they obviously are a burden on his conscience for a mission that just wasn't that big of a deal and you know for all that spock tries to like placate to him and say but you know you were following orders and blah 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 like kirk still takes it really seriously we get 
to see behind the curtain for a change. And then, well, these people can't have sex, but hey, we've saved you. So now you can. Off you go. Enjoy yourselves. It's it kind of, it, again, it, it kind of, uh, the conclusion helps to undermine a lot of the good work that's done earlier on in the episode. Yeah, I think that, I, I agree. I liked that piece of showing that Kirk actually felt emotions about the the continually dying red shirts but it to a certain extent i don't like they couldn't really follow that tonally in the context of this show i feel like because things have to be okay at the end mm. and mm-hmm. so once the episode is over you can't have sort of that oh this one one mission went so bad and i feel so bad about that so it's good that they sort of touched on it but i i don't think they could do much more than that really yeah it's and there's also i think the other good philosophical moment in the episode is um Spock's little comment about how they have proven themselves to be human because they've learned to kill. I'm paraphrasing there. Achieve true human stature. I found the quote. But yes, um, when they kill one of the other red shirts later on. And yeah, there is, it. like you said, it's a very death-heavy episode. And there is weight to those deaths. Like each one moves a story and moves the story forward in a way and gives the character something to reflect on and react to, which we isn't always the case for a lot of the random deaths that happen. So yeah, it's, I don't know. It it does have more on its mind than the typical Star Trek episode for sure. And just for a real break from cliche, black guy dies last. Yeah. Like the last red shirt to go is, 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 is the black one. And that's, I know, I know it's black guy dies first is such a, such a, you know, contemporary cliche, but it's just, a, it's, it's nice that, you know, Star Trek in its own little 1960s progressive way was, was pushing back against that even, mm-hmm. even before that kind of cliche existed. <laughs> so one thing I liked about uh, having Scotty be in charge of the ship is his uh, interactions with Kirk, where Kirk fired him. And then rehired him. Mm-hmm. If that sort of rapport that they had, I thought, was really enjoyable and showed that they were sort of colleagues in that way, which I don't think I've seen as much to this point in the show. But Scotty's always great, although there was no Uhura at all this episode, which was a shame. No Sulu either. I was, yeah, I was disappointed about that a little bit. <laughs> But um, they spent the budget on plants. Oh yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, is it who mourns for Adonis that has the you earned your pay? It's Scotty who earned his pay in that episode. Yeah. So yeah, they do have a great rapport previously. Oh, um, yeah. but yeah, that, I know that's like, yeah, it's great to see that that's carried over. It's a great character detail that there. There's Scott is almost as comfortable with Kirk as like McCoy is basically like a similar like bantery relationship. Yeah. 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 Well, and it's nice that every time Kirk says do this, Scotty goes, yeah, I have. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, you know, pull out the circus, put everything through the impulse. Like, yeah. Thanks. I thought of that. I'm, I'm the engineer here. Yeah. <laughs> and even Kirk gets like, you know, like you're the engineer, you know, the ship better than, uh, than the people who built it. 
you can practically hear Scotty going, yeah, no, shh, you know. (laughs) So in which case, Captain Kirk, stop telling me how to do my job. Um, But it's still, it is a nice rapport. You know, it's a lovely little back and forth. I completely agree. And And it's a fairly decent sized role, even though he's stuck up in the ship. Like James Doohan gets plenty to do in this episode. Yeah, he's basically yeah. in charge up there, so Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a really great role for him. Um yeah, like I said, I'm missing Uhura and Sulu, but at least he gets a chance to shine. And Doohan's chemistry is like really good with Shatner, even if it's just over like not even sharing the same set at any time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um yeah, the exasperation, like you were saying, JG, it's it's really well done. It's really well yeah. played. And speaking of chemistry, I can't believe we all got this far and forgot to mention this part. Uh, the moment where Spock, or I think it's McCoy pushes Kirk out of the way, but Spock gets in front of the flower, shooting things at Kirk, and then is oh, able yeah. to recover. And then Kirk and Spock have a conversation that is even more gay than when they wrestled a few episodes ago. <laughs> Somehow. Yeah, it's the whole, don't do that for me again. It's like, it was only logical to save your life. And all of that was just so good. They were being very, very married this episode. It yeah. was extremely obvious. Probably why they didn't pay so much attention to Chekhov and his girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, you know, again, it is, it's, you know, it, it still feels very kind of unforced. And that's that's the thing about it, because Shatner and Amaya is such a good kind of rapport together. It doesn't feel... Like it's, you know, it's not queer baiting or anything like that. It's far, far too early on for, for that sort of thing to be happening. But it's just, it feels like such a natural fit. And and they just, yeah, oh, it's lovely. He wanted to, you know, he wanted to save me. Oh, well, that's, 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 that's lovely. And yeah, I mean, you, 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 it, this, we still haven't reached the most slashable moment between them. I mean, that's the amazing <laughs> thing. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I just love the moment where Kirk, almost to like hide how much he cares about Spock, start saying how much, do you know my Starfleet has invested in you? And Spock starts listing what I guess is a salary. <laughs> and, uh, it's all so good. It's just, yeah, it's just a really well-written character moments throughout this it's, episode. It's very delightful. Although Spock does almost die like three times <laughs> in this yeah. episode. He gets hit oh, by yeah. lightning and he almost blows up with the rocks and the flat. It's like, I do. I do feel it's worth mentioning that uh, when uh, Leonard Nimoy gets struck by the uh, the thorns from the plant, mm-hmm. uh, and he sort of pulls a face before he collapses, it's very, very funny. Oh yeah, just, yeah he just kind of crosses his eyes, go, and then <laughs> then just sort of collapses in the ground in a wildly unconvincing fashion. Like, like Leonard Nimoy is a great actor, but that is not his finest moment on the show. Right. I don't know. I. You're right, it's funny, but I don't know, maybe it wouldn't be in character for Spock. I just enjoyed it, though, all the same. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. But, um, yeah, I don't know, we don't we usually talk about Nimoy and Shatner's performance, but it's almost like we've done that enough, like, steady as it goes. They're just really in the pocket here, as they usually are at this point in the show. Yeah, they're, they know what they're doing. They're doing it. Mm-hmm. Same with uh, McCoy. Oh, he yeah. didn't have a lot. Like, he was on the away team but he didn't i didn't feel like he was had a whole lot to do uh, the, as or not yeah. as much anyway yeah the, the best moment for mccoy is almost when he just has the very quick dead when the first person dies and it's like <laughs> great analysis yeah, well, there um don't lose, don't lose too much sleep over it 
yeah. he's getting bored with this. He's like, yeah, yeah, they're dead. They're always dead. <laughs> what did you think was going to happen? Yeah. It's like the right amount of like clinical and just a, a little bit of emotion there, but we've got to move on to the next thing for sure. All right, I think we're about wrapping up the discussion. Um, fun episode, but I can't think of much more to say. Uh, if you're ready, JG and Alice. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think so. It, it, yeah, it, it is a nice one, but it's this, 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 this. They don't all generate long discussions, and I suppose, I suppose this is one of the ones that that hasn't particularly. So we can probably shift ourselves over to how we want to score this one. So, uh, Alice, what would you like to give it? So I think I'm going to give it a six. I think it's sort of. I mean, it's a lot of fun. It's got kicking ass of aliens away team woman, which is always nice. But I can't go much higher than that because it is sort of just, this is a story. It doesn't make a lot of sense once you think about it too much. And it's weirdly happy about cultural interference, which happens a lot in Star Trek, but is is never yeah. great but it's like you wouldn't say that this is an episode you absolutely have to watch but it is definitely fun yeah that seems like a fair analysis uh kev what would you like to give it i'm conflicted because i'm just looking at other weird episodes we've done in this sort of similar vein i gave shore leave a seven i gave who mourns for adonis a seven i gave return of the archons a seven and it's more entertaining than all of those but there's more holes to poke in it I don't I I think I'll have to give it for just how big of a swing it's taking. I think I will go up to eight. I think it is just wow. I, had a, I had a blast watching this one. And it is, as we said, the most Star Trek. It so even if it's I'm I'm it's not getting the upper nine and ten echelon, but it it at least deserves kudos for that. Okay, that's fair enough. I think I will oh god. I don't know, so much orange makeup. Everybody looks like a Kardashian. Um <laughs> Those, those wigs, those yeah, yeah, that, yeah, absolutely. And those wigs, oh my god, how much, how much bleach was? Oh, I don't even want to think about it. Right, okay, I have to come up with something. Um, yeah, I mean, you say all that like it's a negative, but I just love that a choice was made. <laughs> <laughs> it may not be aesthetically It's, it's pleasing, a choice. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, you're not wrong, but at the same time, I'll, I'll, six. I'll give it a six. Okay. No, six and a half. Six and a half. All right. All right, good. Right, thank goodness I've done that. Like, right, lovely. Um, I'm still conflicted about it now. Even when I said it. Oh, no, I mean, it's almost like this episode is very hard to give a linear grade to because it's <laughs> a lot of good, a lot of bad. It's yeah, yeah, it's almost like yeah. And yeah. I, I know I I wrestle with this not just for this podcast, but for in all of my life, I also am on Letterboxd and serialized, giving grades to pretty much everything I watch, just because it helps me get back into the headspace of when I watched it, when I look back on it and help organize my thoughts after I've seen it. It helps me assemble like little ranking lists I like to do, but yeah, grading things is very silly and doesn't mean much. So I totally understand the struggle as well. But also tremendous fun. Which yes, of course exactly. Is good. Um, right. Okay. Well, let's leave the episode there and move on to our recommendations. Alice, what would you like to recommend this week? I would like to recommend a book. It's a novel called The Spear Cuts Through Water by Simon Jimenez. It's a fantasy book about 
Well, it's kind of complicated, like a good fantasy book should be, but it's basically about the moon was imprisoned and is trying to get back into the sky, sort of. But the most interesting thing about it is that the way it uses point of view and voice, and it's uh, some parts are in the second person, some parts are in the third person, and wherever you're at, you're sort of being told the story by basically the entire world of the story like it doesn't confine itself to one character even within like a scene you'll be hearing things from side characters all the time which can be a little bit disoriented as you're disorienting as you're reading but is really really effective for getting immersed in the world and it's very well written and I'm really enjoying it. I haven't finished it yet. So maybe in the last quarter of it, it completely falls off a cliff, but I highly doubt it. <laughs> mm -hmm. Already put a hold on my library uh, for that book. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that's a great description, great recommendation. I love that. Fantastic. Thank you very much. Uh, Kev, what would you like to give us this week? So a couple of weeks before we recorded this, I did come down with COVID. That was unfortunate. My first time and since it's been a thing, I've held out for two and a half years, three and a half. How long has it been? Three and a half years. Three and a half years. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, one thing I did um, as just like, well, I'm in my room with nothing to do. So I'll finally read these, this colored omnibus of Scott Pilgrim that I've had laying around for a few months now. And that I've, I'm such a fan of the movie. Watched it in theaters, one of the very few that did. And then I've seen it several times since, but never checked out the comics for whatever reason. But uh, I was finally able to. And oh my God, they're amazing. I loved that. Like every joke in the movie, almost every joke in the movie showed up in the comics, as you'd expect, but often in very different places and contexts. I mean, I really appreciate the movie as a work of adaptation and how it moved and recontextualized a lot of the same basic structure and bones and humor and style of the comic but also being six graphic novels and not a two-hour movie there's a lot more room for a lot of side characters to get further established and uh subplots to emerge and the characters we know to get more depth so all in all it like really is a wonder it's just so wonderful like i don't know i was expecting it to be like i don't need to read i've already seen the movie or oh it's going to come across as dated because it's from 2006 or or 2004 even i think is when it started um i know it ended in 2010 anyways um yeah just uh i was expecting not to love it as much as i did but i absolutely loved it it's a really near perfect work it's so good i i yeah immensely enjoyed scott pilgrim and highly recommend anyone with an interest in the movie or in comics as a medium to check it out give it a shot because yeah it's wonderful fantastic uh we're going we're going for a three for this time so we're all literary all the time on recommendations so i'm going to recommend a book uh called the discovery of heaven by harry malish who's a dutch writer um it's obviously translated into english and it's a really phenomenal book it's it's often uh sort of ranked as one of the one of or not if not the best book uh by a dutch author um it's a semi it's not really fantasy but it's it's a semi uh religious i suppose book uh so it's about uh an angel type of uh creature who is uh given the task 
of returning the Ten Commandments uh, to heaven. Um, but he's unable to uh, travel to Earth itself. So basically he controls, manipulates, and uh, otherwise uh, moves around characters in the book in order to get them to this place where they are able to return the tablets. It's a really, it's quite a long book, but it's a really fascinating book to, to sort of ramble around in. There's a lot of stuff which is sort of reflective of sort of post-war Europe and the trauma that came from that. Um, but it's also very light and very funny. The characters, particularly Ono, is just an, just an amazing kind of literary creation. And uh, it's just a, a, a it's just one of those books that once you start reading it, you kind of feel like it should almost have always existed. Uh, it was actually written in, in 1992. So it's not, it's not super old, but it's not super new either. Um, and it's, uh, it's just, I don't know, it's one of my absolute favorite novels. I'm surprised I haven't thought to recommend it before the podcast, but I've been struggling to come up with recommendations, but I was reminded of it recently. Um, and I just, uh, yeah, I just had to kind of put, uh, put a shout out for it. It's a, a brilliant book. And if you just really love a novel that you can get lost in, where you can really sort of commit and enjoy the characters and, and it just has this very long uh, winding and incredibly, there's a description. It doesn't apply to this book. I can't remember what book it applies to, but it, it's like being very slowly nailed to the wall. And that's what it's like. It's <laughs> It, it's 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 incredibly precise and specific in the way that it does things, but it takes its time getting there. But it's an absolute joy. So yeah, that's uh, that's the one for me. That's uh, the discovery of heaven by Harry Malish. I will also put a hold on that in my library. That sounds that amazing. sounds really interesting. Uh, it's also a really really crap movie starring Stephen Fry, but you can avoid that at all costs. Discovery of heaven, you said. Yes. All right. Uh, I'll have to find it somewhere else. It might not be in the LA library system, unfortunately. But yeah, that sounds amazing. Um, I, I think I just realized I forgot to say what Scott Pilgrim is about. I mean, maybe I don't have to because I think the movie has such a cultural footprint. But for those unaware, um, Scott Pilgrim starts dating this girl named Ramona Flowers and her seven evil exes uh, who she dated previously start attacking him one at a time. And so, yeah, and it's very visually appealing and a fun action and yeah, a lot of personality there. I don't know. It's that's almost like, especially in the novels uh, or book, comics, whatever, not as much of a plot point as it is just like hanging out with the characters and having a good time. But yeah, in case you needed a hook. Fantastic. Lovely. Excellent. Good. Well, um, we can leave things there and move on to plugs. Alice, what would you like to plug? Um, I don't have very much to plug. I am on Blue Sky as a, what is my name? I don't know. <laughs> a dash ninja dash magpie. Um, I don't post a whole lot. You can see pictures of my cat, um, but that is kind of my primary uh, internet presence. Nothing wrong with cats on the internet, I'm led to believe. Um, <laughs> Kev, would you care to tell people how they could get in touch with us? Yes. Um, you can find me on Blue Sky, Max Rebo's Roadie. Also on Twitter, but I barely use that these days. Uh, you can find us on Twitter and Blue Sky, talking Trek to you on Blue Sky, talk Trek to you on Twitter. Uh, JG's writings at jgmcquarry.scott. Um, pod other podcasts, JG also hosts Beatles Stuffology, going through Beatles track by track. And I also host Total Now, uh, hostish increased role capacity, still working on a title for my involvement in Total Massacre, Rowan Kaiser's 
movie podcast that was about action movies will be about sci-fi movies for foreseeable future fantastic thank you very much and alice thank you for joining us uh, for a bite of the apple well thank you for having me back i really enjoyed it <laughs> It's been an absolute delight as always. We can therefore leave things there. Next episode, well, it's the Doomsday Machine. And as always, we hope you're going to join us for it. But until then, keep talking. <laughs>